We should always be willing to go as long as we know that the Lord is going to go with us. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilbert. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. Well, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 33, and I entitled this message, Not Without You. Like, I don't want to go without you, Lord. Have you ever felt God moving inside of you to do what others might never do? Some think you're crazy while others think, wow, what a step of faith. I remember praying for five years because it appeared that God was opening a door for us to move to Christ Church, New Zealand. You know, my wife was hesitant at first, but she called me while I was down there ministering in Christ Church, New Zealand. I was walking on the streets and my cell phone goes off and it's my wife. And she says, do you, do you really think Do you feel inside that God is calling us to go to New Zealand? And I said, I do. And she said, well, then I will go with you. I will go wherever you want to go. I had made several trips down there. uh, And the people in New Zealand, I built relationships with them. I worked on several harvest crusades there. Again, after much prayer, my wife and I stepped out in faith and we decided to go. I went into Pastor Greg Laurie's office and I said, boss, boss. He says, what? I go, I quit. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm history. I'm like a feather in a whirlwind. And we, I quit my job. We put our house up for sale, our car. We're going to sell almost everything. Because when you move to New Zealand, it's not like moving to Kansas. You don't just get a U-Haul trailer and go. Almost everything we own had to go because it costs a fortune to ship things all the way halfway around the world. So we were going to sell it all. We were going to move and start from scratch. After making all those decisions, I was left with a major thought, like, Lord, you know, I don't care about getting rid of of everything and and starting over again, because my wife and I had, had done that a few times already in our marriage. The main thought for me was... Lord, I'm willing to go only if you will go with us because that's all that really mattered. Then the unimaginable happened. We couldn't get immigration all of a sudden. The person in parliament who wanted me to come that was going to help me get immigration all of a sudden wasn't available anymore. I sought the Lord and he was deeper and more passionate than before. And all of a sudden it it was apparent this door that took five years to open was was suddenly closing. That was difficult for me. I, I didn't understand that. I couldn't comprehend what was happening because it wasn't a flippant decision for me. It wasn't a frivolous choice. It was a decision that was made through much prayer. Well, as you probably have figured it out, if I would have gone to New Zealand, I wouldn't be standing in front of you here today in Los Angeles. So what happened? Well, obviously, God wanted us here and not there. 
And I'm so glad that I can say without a question that we are exactly where God has called my wife and I to be. Yes. But there were many lessons to be learned and many lessons that we can learn from every situation we find ourselves in on this side of heaven. But the bottom line is this. It doesn't really matter where God calls us. It doesn't really matter if that thing is big or small, whatever the task may be. It doesn't really matter what sacrifices have to be made or what the cost may be and whatever the burden is, whatever that thing, whatever the mission, whatever the endeavor is at hand, we should always be willing to go as long as we know that the Lord is going to go with us. But if the Lord doesn't go, If the Lord is not willing to travel in the path that you or me have chosen, if the Lord is pulling away and he doesn't have any desire to partake of where you're going or what you desire to do, then we are simply on our own. And speaking for myself, I have no desire to be on any path without the Lord being with me. So a word of encouragement for you is this. If you're in a place in life without the Lord here today, if you're living in an area of sin, if you have fallen under the power of some vice in your life, understand, if you're in that place where God is not walking with you, you should not want to be in that place. And if you're living in sin, know this. The Bible says that sin severs our relationship with God. It severs it. It cuts it down. It minimizes it. It's the worst place that you could ever be in in this life. So don't be stubborn. Don't be headstrong. Don't be unwilling to get right with God today. Don't ever be content by not only allowing God to work in your life, But don't be content to be at a point to where you would actually do something with your plan and your purpose or your goal over what the Lord would have you to do in your own life. We must never be willing to do that. We must be willing to wait We must be willing to to imagine ourselves being exactly where God wants us to be. Maybe for some, you can't imagine God actually using you. Maybe you can't even imagine that happening, knowing that your past failures, or maybe he hasn't used you because of maybe your hardness of heart or being a stubborn person. Maybe we just don't have ears to hear what God desires to do inside of us. Some things to consider for sure. But with that as a backdrop, as we continue in this study through the book of Exodus, as you remember, we left off last time with God wanting 
to literally judge his people to the point of wiping them off of the face of the earth. For Moses had been on the mountain with God for some 40 days. And right when Moses was ready to come down from the mountain, the people had asked Aaron, the man that was left in charge, to make them a god. We don't know what happened to this Moses guy. Can you make us a god? And Aaron said, bring me your gold earring. And he threw them into a pot, melted them down and fashioned it in the form of a cow and said, this is the God who delivered you. As the people bowed down and worshiped it, the Bible went on to say, they sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play which was nothing more than a drunken, sexually charged party. Well, again, we left off with Moses going back to the Lord, standing in the gap between a righteous and a holy God and an obstinate and rebellious people that had become wayward and unruly. God was ready to just completely roast everyone. Yet it was Moses who stood in the gap as he said to the Lord in Exodus 32, 32, but now Lord, if thou wilt forgive their sin. And if not, like you can't get yourself to the point where you can forgive this unruly bunch of heathens, then blot my name out from your book, which thou hast written. Like erase me. Moses was saying, take my life for their life. God, just somehow spare these people. Well, as you know, God turned down that offer from Moses, but that was exactly what God did for us 1,500 years later as he came to this earth. He allowed himself to be born of a virgin. He lived as a man, flesh and blood like you and me. He was the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he would allow himself to die, to literally be sacrificed as a lamb slain for sin. Isaiah 53 says he was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter to be the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me, taking our sin upon his body. Now, everyone who has an ear to hear, those who have a desire to have their sin forgiven, to no longer be filled with guilt and shame, they can now come and find rest to their souls and peace in their hearts. And we can all embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. Let's look at our first point here, walking alone. As we read together, starting in Exodus 33, picking up, In verse one, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land, which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. I guess that's all the ites out there. In verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up with, I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. And when the people heard this sad word, They went into mourning 
And none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment? I would destroy you. And now therefore put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I shall do with you. Wow. Is this the angry father in heaven or what? And rightly so, the children have greatly sinned. But notice how God in verse one, he started distancing himself from his people. As he said, the people, Moses, whom you brought up. Yet in verse two, God immediately shows his mercy in not completely forsaking him by his willingness to send an angel before them. Like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send an angel. You won't be by yourself. He'll conquer all your enemies and what have you. But why again is God putting such a distance between himself and the people? Because God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What caused the severing? What caused the distance? It was sin. It was the sin of the people. We live in a culture. We live in a world that is saturated with sin. We live in a world that has separated us from God. It's sin. It's disobedience. It's rebellion. And again, not much has changed today because if we allow the same in our lives, look, if you want to quench the spirit of God in your life, if you want to stop God working at all in your life, if your desire is to somehow drive a wedge between you and your relationship with God, and you want to make sure that God never ever hears or answers your prayers, all you have to do is allow sin and disobedience and total rebellion to his word to enhance your life. That's how you completely lock God out. That's why we have the fruit of what's happening in our country. That's why we have rising crime. That's why we have everything falling apart at the seams because that will quench the spirit of God within us. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord not, will not hear me. It's one thing to be battling sin. Like I'm battling this thing. It's like, man, I know I shouldn't do this and you're in a battle. That's one thing. There's another thing when you give into it and you give into what the world does and you give into what others do, even though you might not particularly be doing that thing, but you're okay with others doing it. Know this. If there's a distance between us and God, we cannot blame anybody else for that distance but ourselves. Why? Because God deals with us all in the very same way. It's based on how willing we are to submit to him. Understand, if you find yourself, again, struggling in an area today or battling that particular thing, God knows it all. And there's nobody that can come to your aid more than the Lord can when you're in the midst of dealing with all these uncontrolled passions and all of these things that are alluring you and pulling you into these areas. Because God is the one that says, look, I want to be there and be your strength when you're in the midst of that battle. 
So there's two different things we're talking about. We're talking about someone who's battling with the allurement of sin and another person who's just, let's live in it. If it feels good, let's do it. I love what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter four. This is a study that the women are going through on Tuesday nights at 7.30. My wife is gonna be teaching this Tuesday and she'll be in Hebrews. But in Hebrews 4.15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He says, what he's saying is we have a high priest, Jesus, and he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what we're going through. He says, we have one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So that means Jesus knows the allurement. He knows the pull of that sin. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this, but oh, it feels so good. I'm fighting this thing. Jesus has been tempted in all things. He never fell to it, but he knows the temptation. Therefore, he goes on to say, because I know what it's like, because I have a heart and compassion for you, he says, now we can draw near to him with confidence or boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy to find grace and help in a time of need. He's saying, man, are you struggling? Are you having a hard time with it? Man, are you kind of losing the battle a little bit? You need to come to me because I know what it's like. And I can help you in that. And you don't have to come slithering in on your belly like a serpent and just, you know, like, oh God. It's like, no, you can come boldly with great confidence into my throne room and you can ask me to help you and I will be there for you. But yet, if we've given up and we're just walking in sin with no desire to change the path that we're on, if we have no desire to change the course and in the direction that it's taking us, then God will pull back from us, just like we see in our text today. Notice after God tells them, I will be against your enemies by this angel that I send, in verse three, he flat out tells them, I will not go with you. Could you imagine the Lord telling you that? I'm not gonna walk with you anymore. You know, I've had enough of your sin. I've had enough of you just going along with what the world does and the culture does because you don't wanna go against what the mob says. So I'm not gonna walk with you anymore. Wow, what an empty feeling that would be. Why again? He tells them twice in verse three and verse five, you're obstinate. The King James Bible uses a different word. He says, you're stiff-necked meaning you're difficult, you're stubborn, and you're fiercely hard to work with. I wonder if God could say that about each and every one of us today. You're tougher than a tough piece of beef jerky. You're like chewing on a piece of shoe leather. You're hard to get along with. You never listen to my counsel. You don't want to change. God told them in verse three, if I go with you, I'll end up destroying you on the way. Why again? Because you're rebellious. Notice it's only when the people, when they felt the heaviness, when they felt the gravity of their sin, that they went into mourning. It's not until they felt the gravity of their sin that they were saddened. I wonder, have you felt in your own heart, the gravity of your sin? 
Or have you allowed the compromises of our current world order, the compromises of our political correctness to sway you into a spiritual slumber by allowing you to accept certain lifestyles that God has called absolute sin to now be acceptable to you? Well, I have a friend and well, we were friends ever since, you know, elementary school. And, well, they've gone down there and they're living this lifestyle now. And, well, they're a good person. And, well, I love that person. And, well, you know, certainly God loves them. And, you know, it's okay. And you're not standing against the sin itself because you will no longer be popular in the view of the mob. Or you try to justify things like abortions by saying, well, you know, I personally, would never have an abortion myself. But it's the woman's right, and I support her to do whatever she wants to do while you're forsaking the very right of the little baby that's defenseless, that's inside of that woman, who's not that woman, who's a different person than that woman that's living inside of her. Have we felt the gravity of what's happened here? On how God looks at life and looks at children? Yes, but what about, it's like, you know, in the case of incest and rape, it's like that's less than one half of 1%. So that means that out of the 63 million babies that we've aborted, 99.5% of them have been for convenience. And we might say, but if we felt the gravity of what God thinks about this, you can hate me for this, but you have to do with God in the end. And God said to those that were offering and those that stood by and watched it happen, I will kill every single one of them. No, there is no political correct middle ground in the Bible. There just isn't. If something is sin, it's simply that. It is sin before God. And sin tears away at the moral fiber of a people. And when God judges our world, what side are you going to be on? The Bible says that we've all sinned before God. And the Bible says that we will all die one day. We will all die. And we will stand before God. Every man, every woman will die. And we will stand before God. And then we will have to give an answer. And if you're here today and you've had an abortion, it's like, know this. If you feel the gravity of that and you come to the Lord and say, oh God, I'm sorry. God will forgive you. He will cleanse you and he will turn your mourning into joy because the mourning will be he will forgive you from what you have done and the joy will be your baby's in heaven waiting for you. You will be reunited with your child. Know this, we must feel the weight of the sin. That's why some good old-fashioned guilt and shame, it's good for us. Why? For that's what drives us back to the cross. Imagine if God had never given us a conscience. If we never felt bad about anything. Who knows where we would be? For it's only when we violate our conscience that sin is made known to us. Unless, of course, you callous over your conscience. Because you could do something and you know what's wrong and it's like, oh, I feel horrible about it. And it drives you back to forgiveness. But if you continue to do that and continue to do that and continue to do that and continue, then you don't feel bad about it anymore. Does that mean that the sin is not still sin? No, it just means you calloused your conscience. 
So you no longer have the feeling of guilt and shame because you've calloused over your heart. And if that's you as a believer and you're doing something that you know is wrong, go to the Lord and say, oh God, forgive me. Remember David in Psalm 51 where he cried out, create in me a clean heart, oh God. The word create comes from the Hebrew word bara, meaning make something out of nothing. It's the same word that he used in Genesis 1.1. God created the heavens and the earth. And again, bara, he created it out of nothing. He just made it happen. David is saying, created me a clean heart. Why? Because I've calloused this one. I don't feel ashamed anymore. God, get rid of this heart. I've destroyed it. Give me a new heart, God. A brand new heart that's sensitive towards you. And cleanse me. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also get via our app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34. 34- 789 Los Angeles, California 90034